Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. a two-week series uh, that we started last week that we simply entitled this, Don't Stop Here. Look at your neighbor and say, don't stop here. Don't stop here. And we, we started this series last week just with the recognition that that kind of is the reality that all of us, uh, we are where we are, are we not? Whether it's by, by design or by default, whether it's because of decisions we've intentionally made or decisions we haven't made, whether it's because of something that has happened to us or something that we prepared and planned for, all of us today, we are where we are. The, 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 the life that we're living, who we are, we are where we are. And, and yet the Bible tells us that while we can acknowledge that reality, we serve a God that there's always more with him. Can I get an Amen. That we, we, we serve a God that there's, there's always more. The Bible says that he who is, uh, began a good work, he who started something, is faithful to bring it to completion. It's not just cliche. It's not just inspirational. We really do believe and theologically have an understanding that our best days are always yet to come. That's, I mean, first of all, that's set in an eternal perspective that this is not our home, this is temporary, our best days are yet to come, but even before eternity, we can believe and we can have confidence, God, I might be where I am right now, but you're not done with my life. God, you're, you're not done with me. You have more purpose. You have more plan. There's more things you want me to do. You have more of yourself that you want to reveal to me. There's always more with God. And so we started this series, Don't Stop Here, really as an encouragement just to say, hey, wherever you are today, don't stop here. Wherever you are today, don't settle in and go, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. I guess I'm just gonna figure out a way to get comfortable and get used to it because I guess this is it. No, don't stop here. And while this is a series for maybe anyone who feels like, yeah, there's a next step in, in the things of God that God is calling me to. We said it last week. I think it's kind of also a series for anybody that you just feel stuck right now. You ever felt like that? You ever just felt stuck? You ever felt just stalled out? Maybe you're here and maybe you feel like there's a, there's a calling on your life or something that God has put in your heart or something that you have, you have a dream or you have a vision that you think, I think God's asking me to do this. Or maybe one time you felt called to ministry, you felt called to do something great for God. And yet, in, in spite of your best efforts, something happened and you just got stalled out. And so you just feel stuck. We started this series for, for, for those of you who feel that way as well to say, don't stop here. Don't, don't stop and, and, and don't, don't give up on the dream or the vision that God's put in your heart. And we used last week and we're gonna use this week, Exodus chapter three as our, our main text. And we'll uh, kind of read it here in a moment, but just to catch you up in case you weren't here or maybe you had a late Saturday night and you fell asleep in church last week. Um, Exodus chapter three, God is calling Moses. It's a great reminder for you and I that while we may be content where we are, God is not content to leave us there. And so Moses is contently living in Midian. He, he felt stirred to do something for God, but it didn't work out the way he thought it was going to. And so he fled in fear to Midian. And the Bible says that Moses, he was contently living in Midian and God found him. Bible says that God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush, which we'll read here, here momentarily. And, and we kind of camped on last week 
uh, these, these two verses where it says that when Moses turned aside, that God began to speak to him. That when Moses stopped, verses, uh, and you don't, you don't have to put it on the screen, but, but verses uh, th- three through four, when Moses stopped, when, when Moses, he turned aside, that's when God began to speak. And kind of this was our, our, our big thought last week, that moments with God are only the starting point. That moments with God, encounters with God, there's nowhere in the Bible that speaks to them being transformative in, in full. Yet we live in a culture and we live in a world that we idolize and glorify moments with God. And, and yet moments with God are only the starting point, but it's the daily decisions to turn aside and daily pursue Jesus that actually leads to the transformation and it leads to, to the end result of what God has, has purposed, planned, and intended for our life. And kind of our big thought last week was if you don't want to be stuck, then it's time to, it's time to stop and turn aside and lean into what is God saying? What is God doing? And when we turn aside, God begins to speak. God begins to move. We have to turn aside and make daily decisions to follow him. And this, this week, as we continue in our series, I wanna talk about another factor in you and I moving forward. Again, whether it's you saying, I feel like there's a next step God's called me to take. I feel like maybe I'm just at the starting point and I haven't even made the decision really to follow him, but I think there's a, I think there's a next step. I think I'm supposed to, to lean in. Whether you're there or you feel stuck and stalled out, I wanna talk about this morning how another factor in moving forward is realizing that what we have been called to is a holy thing. That what we've been called to is a, it's a sacred thing. And that, that, that'll make more, a little more sense the, the more we get into it this morning. But Exodus chapter three, it's where I ask you to turn with me. And I'm reading again from the New King James Version, starting in verse one, reading verses one through 10 from the New King James Version. This is what it says. Now Moses, he was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside. Key thoughts from last week. I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when Moses I'm sorry, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now we're not gonna stop here, but I wanna point out key verse for us this morning where where I want us to really put attention. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look and called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am, verse five, key verse for today. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Verse six, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jesubites and all the other ites. Now, therefore, 
Behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So come now, therefore, and I will send you, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We talked about this a little bit last week, that the call of God in our life, while this maybe doesn't sound very American, it's not about you. It's not about me. We, we, we live in such an Americanized version of Christianity sometimes where everything becomes about me. How does this fit into my plan? How does this fit into my goals and my aspirations? How does this fit into my, my vision of what life should look like? And the Bible goes, ah, actually there's a call that's on your life and God doesn't come down and say, Moses, I've been noticing you seem a little visionless. You seem a little pur- pur- purposelessness. Moses, you kind of seem like you could use a pick-me-up. So here's what I'm gonna do. I got a great plan and a great purpose. It's gonna bring so much joy and fulfillment. So here, it's not what he says. He says, Moses, I have seen and heard the cry of my people. Did you know that God sees and God hears the cry of people in our neighborhoods? That God is is aware of and God sees the hurt and the pain and the brokenness and the desperation of the world that we live in. And his response, if we will turn aside, is to call to to you and I and say, hey, you're living in this neighborhood and you thought you just bought the house because it was a really nice house and you love the landscaping. But but I I hear the cry of the neighbors that that are in your cul-de-sac. And so I'm trying to call you because there's hurting, broken people that that I love and I want to reach. It's not about us. It's about the people God wants to use us to reach. And Jesus does say, by the way, there's nothing more fulfilling than fulfilling that call. Today, the emphasis that I I drew your attention to was verse five, where God says to Moses, Moses, don't, don't draw near here. Just hold, hold on for a second. Take your sandals off your feet for the place you stand is holy ground. Again, I wanna talk this morning about how one of the factors in you and I moving forward, it's, it's recognizing that what we've been called to is a holy thing, a special thing, a sacred thing, a set apart thing. And I wanna give you this title this morning for the sermon. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's simply this, uh, no more casual Christianity. No more casual Christianity. And um, we're gonna need a lot of prayer this morning. And so uh, if you wouldn't mind one more time, can we, can we just close our eyes and bow our head and ask God that he really would speak to us individually this morning. Uh, God, today we recognize that the goal of what we're, we're, we're doing here today is not to collect and gather more information. It's not the goal. The, the goal here today is not just so that we can be inspired momentarily, and feel better so we can have a good 4th of July. The goal today is transformation. You use information, you use inspiration, but it is not the goal. The goal, it is transformation. The goal of our gatherings, the goal of our worship, the goal of us reading and opening scripture, it is to bring ourselves before you to say, God, we need you. We are desperate for you. And our desire is to follow you in your ways. And so I ask today that God... Um, you, you really would open our eyes to, to maybe see something you need us to see that we're not seeing right now. 
Open our ears today, Holy Spirit, not to hear words of a preacher, but to hear the voice of your spirit speaking to us, dealing with us today. God, would you soften our heart? Would we not have hard hearts? Would we have soft hearts, hearts that are open to receive the implanted word of God? And I pray that any and every ounce of uh, condemnation the enemy may try to bring that in the name of Jesus that would be canceled right now by the grace and the mercy uh, of God, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that your grace and your mercy is sufficient. We need you today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Um, I don't know what hobbies you had when you were in, in middle school. Uh, but my hobby in middle school, seventh, eighth, and the ninth grade, is I was so hardcore into skateboarding. Anybody, like, when you were younger, did you skateboard? Any, any, any skaters, like, a couple people? Yeah, uh, Carson Hollinson on the front row. He's like a professional skateboarder. I've seen the Instagram videos. I was never very good at skateboarding, ever. And um, I'd like to think it's because the Lord limited me because he knew I was called to ministry. He didn't want me to go pro. Um, but the reality is I was just terrible. I was not good at skateboarding at all. But one of the things that I remember about those three years is uh, the culture of my friend group. Now, I don't know if this was actually the culture of like, I don't know, the, like the world at that time, because um, there wasn't social media. I didn't get a cell phone until I was like 18 years old. Uh, we had internet, but it was dial up and it took 14 days to be able to log onto your email. So I don't, like, I, I don't know. All I, all I know is my friend group. And, and the culture of our friend group, we were all about looking down on, rejecting, not wanting to ever become this word that, that we, we, we use called poser. I don't know if you've ever heard this word before. I, I urban dictionaried it this morning just to make sure that I was using the correct word. And uh, the urban dictionary, uh, which is a real thing if you didn't know, it, it, it says uh, someone pretending to be someone or something that they're not. And I love the little illustration. The illustration was you only listen to metal, Tim, because your friends do. You're such a poser. I was, I was belly laughing in the office, like just reading this little description. But like, I don't wanna be a poser. And so you only wear skate clothes if you skateboard. Um, I, I remember not wearing any kind of brands that were crossovers, because I'm like, no, that's a surf brand too. I don't surf. I will never be called a poser. Um, I didn't wear band t-shirts unless I knew songs because I, I don't wanna be a poser. It's funny how things change because I could care less now. We, we go on vacation every single year to Daytona Beach. Uh, it's where my wife's parents live and they've been vacationing there for ever. And um, every year I like to go to, to the Daytona Beach surf shop, this little cool surf shop, and I buy a t-shirt every year. And I wear these t-shirts proudly knowing I couldn't surf to save my life. I don't, I'm not, I don't care about being a poser. But, but, but as, as I was thinking about this, I, I, I think that maybe, maybe we should care a little more when it comes to our Christianity. Maybe we should have a little more care and concern when it comes to uh, how, how you say uh, wearing the jersey but not playing the game, uh, talking the talk but not actually walking the walk, um, posting things that we actually don't live out or really believe in the depths of our heart because they're cliche Christian things. I think maybe we should care a little more about uh, authenticity. See, because you have to remember that um, Romans chapter 10, which is a really popularized verse that, that we use, uh, rightfully so, to talk about salvation, that it says anyone who will believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that, that Jesus is Lord. 
See, but we don't read it like that. We don't think about it like that a lot of times. We read it and we think about it like this. Anyone who will believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is their savior. They'll be saved. But, but that's not what it says, though. It says anyone who would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that, that no, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You know what that word Lord means? It means boss. It means ruler. It, it, it means master. It, it means you, you now call the shots. I don't call the shots anymore. No, I, I have a revelation that not only Jesus, were you the one who was the perfect, spotless sacrifice for all of my sin, and you gave your life on a cross that in you, in your finished work, I can be count, counted as righteous and justified at peace with God. I'm now a son of the living God. I'm in the family. All of his blessings, all of his promises are, are, are yes and amen. And also, you you, you, you are the Lord. And so I now give my life. I die to myself and I give my life to follow you. No longer do I hold the right that my opinions, my perspectives, and the way I was raised controls and dictates. No, now it is your word and your ways and your teachings and your spirit that leads and guides me. And you are the, see, but we, we don't think like this. We, we, the Bible says don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. And if we're not careful, we, we can forget that there is a, a cultural form of Christianity that we can be conformed to if we're not careful. And it's one that allows us to wear the jersey and wear the shirt and, and, and f- feel like we're part of the team and yet not actually be playing, playing the game. Exodus chapter three, we, we, we're using this passage and the Bible says in verses three and four, that God calls out to Moses. So Moses turns aside, and the Bible says that when God saw the posture of Moses' heart change, and he turned aside to look, that God called to him. And in in verse four, it says this, that Moses, he says, here I am. Moses enthusiastically, willingly said, oh, no, I, I hear your voice. Here I am, which by the way, we could probably learn a lot from Moses just in that, could we not? That that when, when we hear God speaking to us and we hear God talking to us and drawing us, that we willingly, enthusiastically, we say, yes, Lord, here I am. See, because even in that, we, we, we respond to his voice at our pleasure. It, it's kind of like in my household, um, my wife way more than me because she's just home more than me. But my wife and I, we hear our names, mom and dad, like three billion times an hour. Especially, we actually have, we have a theory right now. Our son, Graham, if he's careful, he's gonna lose all his friends real quick because he says people's names like 35 times. Carson, Carson, Carson. It's like, dude, it's like, literally we were in the car and Evelyn, my daughter, had a friend over and, and, and she goes, stop, stop. Graham, will you stop saying my name? And I caught eyes with him in the rear view mirror like, I told you, bro, it's not, it's not just us. But, but it, it's like, we, we, we hear our names and we respond not at their command. We respond when we feel like it. Oh, no, oh, no, no, I, I, I heard you, son. I will get you snack and juice when I'm good and ready. You, you can, but we, we treat God like that sometimes, don't we? I hear you. No, I, I got it. I, I put, put it in my journal. I, I bookmarked it. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. But even, Moses can even teach us in his willingness to go, no, God, I hear you, and I'm, um, I'm readily going to respond. But verse five is what I want us to see because verse five, it says this, 
then, then he said, kind of doesn't make sense at first glance, then God said, didn't God just call Moses? Yes, he did, but then in Moses' response, God says this, do not draw near this place. Whoa, 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 hold on for a second. Don't draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. One scholar uh, writes this, Moses must keep his distance. Draw near, but not too near. So near as to hear, but not so near as to pry. His conscience must be satisfied, but not his curiosity. And care must be taken that familiarity do not breed contempt. It should be noted, I love this, it should be noted that in all our approaches to God, we ought to be deeply affected with the infinite distance there is between us and God. It should be noted that in all our approaches to God, we ought to be deeply affected with the infinite distance there is between us and God. Now, now, now before you get all frustrated, what he is not saying and what we are not saying is that we have not been, been, been brought near by the finished work of Jesus. No, we have. What, what did Jesus say that... Uh, a servant doesn't, doesn't know what his master is doing, but I, I tell you because we have, we have relationship, because I, I count you as friends. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we have to recognize there is a reverence and an honor and a fear, if you will, that we have understanding that, yes, while I have been brought near, I am not God. And I, I, I have not been brought to, 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 to the same level of, uh, of equality with God. No, God, you are infinitely greater and more worthy. You are the creator of all the universe. You are the God of all gods. Jesus, you are the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings. There is an infinite space between, between me and you. And while I have been brought near and been brought close, no, God, I still reverence and honor you as God. I remember when I was younger, we, we, we were walking through the mall. Do you remember malls, by the way? I was thinking about this, and I'm like, do malls still exist? They could have turned every mall into a skating rink. I, I wouldn't have even known it. Like, in case you don't know, malls are places we went to before there was Amazon. It's like, hey, we got stuff we got to buy. Let's go walk around the mall. And I remember walk, walking to the mall one time with, with, with my family. It's like people used to do that on Saturdays. Like, Let's go to the mall. And, um, you know, there's two stores in the mall, by the way, that – if you ever see someone from your church walking out, if you're like, whoa, I, we, we got to put them on the prayer list. And it's Hot Topic and Spencer's gift shop. It's like, you see someone walking out of there, you're like, bro, I don't, I don't know if they're in accountability group anymore. I, have you seen them recently? But we, we were walking by one of those stores and um, there was a shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And um, I remember being like, dad, look, isn't that so funny? And and he didn't do it like in, in a frustrated or a mad way, but, but I, I remember it, it marked something where he said, I don't think it's funny at all, actually. He said, because Jesus is not our homeboy. He's not our friend. He's not our peer. He's, he, he, he's not just our coworker and our neighbor. No, he is our Lord and our Savior. God says to Moses, well, hold on. In the same way that when we go into a restaurant or really any public place, I grab my son who I love so much and say, Graham, 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 hey, okay, we're going in here. But this is like a public place. You can't be punching random people. We, we, we were walking to my daughter's baseball game and my son had a stick in his hand 
And, 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 and Jenny said, Graham, put that stick down. And he just threw it in front of him and he hit this elderly lady square in the back. And it was a really good throw to be honest, but it's like, hey, Graham, Graham, hey, hey, we're, this is a public place. God's going, hey, Moses, Moses, Moses. He said, hold on, hold on. And he says, take your sandals off your feet. This would be in, in this culture, and Moses would understand this, this would be like saying, hey, take your hat off before you pray. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of reverence for where you are and who you are in front of. And he says, Moses, this is a holy thing. I, I, I wanna give you just, just three things this morning uh, uh, under this idea of no more casual Christianity that I just think you and I, if, if we wanna move forward and, and we don't wanna be stuck where we are, we don't wanna be stuck maybe or stalled out in the calling, the purpose, the plan that God has for us, that I think we could be a lot less casual in because we we live in a culture and we we live in a day where casual christianity is kind of the norm we we are very casual in in our uh, in our christianity we've mistaken the grace of god for being a replacement for a lack of ca- character rather than seeing it as a provision for that which should only be out of character we, we, we think the, doctor of, the doctrine of God's grace, yeah, just it's whatever, man. Like, hey, you just, hey, you're doing the best you can. It's fine. No, 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 the, the Bible says, and I can't think of the reference, but actually the doctrine or the teaching of God's grace is to flee unrighteousness and pursue that which is righteous. We, 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 we live in a culture and we live in a day where we forget that God, while full of grace and mercy, he does not respond to calloused, and casual forms of worship, but rather to reverence and awe-inspired desperation, devotion, and dependence upon him. Let me give you three thoughts today, just things that I think we could be a lot less casual in. Number one, you can write this down, simply in our devotion, in our devotion. The definition of the word devotion is this, the act of dedication to something or someone in time, energy, resource, and priority. It is to be ardently dedicated to one and loyal. I think one thing we could be a lot less casual in and maybe have more sobriety is is in our devotion to Jesus. You know, what's interesting to me is there's things that I feel as a pastor, and maybe it's just me, but I feel as a pastor almost uncomfortable and, and, and like borderline irritating to people when I, impa- when I pastorally want to just encourage them or point something out. And yet often they're the very things that Jesus made no apologies for. For, for, for example, Matthew 6, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus makes no apologies to say, but seek first. Someone say first. But seek, that was a strong first, praise the Lord. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. He speaks to a worried, busy, trouble, troubled, flustered. I, 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 there's so much. He, he speaks to this, this group and says, no, 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 no. Let's, let, let's let tomorrow worry about itself for a minute. But you seek first. Jesus makes no apologies that his calling is not one of, of casual companionship. Hey, I would love for you to just come in and just be a part of the team. 
Like, just come hang out, bro. Like, the door's always open. If you ever want to hang out, hey, if you ever want to talk, like, you have my, that, that's not his call. His call is one, is, is one of devotion, one that recognizes you are the Lord. And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, all the things you're worried and troubled over. He says, Let, allow me to be provider for a second. Hey, for a second, can you remember that you are not the, 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 the sole provider for your life, that you are not your protector, you are not your sustainer, that you were not designed to take the world on your shoulders and figure it out, but rather you were designed to allow me to carry the weight and the pressure as the Lord and Savior. Seek first my kingdom. Make me first priority. You give me the first and the best and the priority of all that you are and everything else I will freely, liberally add to you, take care of and fill in, in, in the rest. Luke 9, 23, listen to what he says. He says, then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, making no apologies, Jesus says, let him deny himself. Yeah, I got a lot of really good plans, a lot of really good ideas. You know, I'm totally, like, I'll, I'll definitely follow you. I'm definitely in just right now as a busy, he says, no, 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 no. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A couple of verses later, Luke 9, 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We, we, we put emphasis, which we should put emphasis here, about how Jesus was so loving and had arms wide open because he was. And, 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 and while Jesus, he showed zero prejudice to anyone. The Bible actually says there's no partiality with God. There's none. The Bible says God shows no personal favorites to no one. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you have or haven't done, whether you've lived perfectly or you've lived the worst, most sinful life of all time. Like you hold all the, he said, it doesn't matter to me. Jesus just wide open calls everyone. But what we don't, often don't recognize is the same loving Lord and Savior. He, he actually had a lot of people that didn't say yes to following him and couldn't follow him and chose to not follow him because Jesus drew really clear lines. Do you remember the rich young ruler? Rich young ruler comes and he goes, Jesus, I, I need to know, like, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, um, you, 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 you know the commandments, this one and that one and this one, just go do that. He goes, I, 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 I'm already doing that. And, and Jesus says, okay, you know what you're really missing? He said, go sell everything you have just cashing all the chips, come follow me. And the Bible says the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful, knowing that you have the key to, to that which I'm searching for, and yet I, it's, it's too, too much, it's too, it's too, too, it's too great, I can't, and, and, he, and he walks away. Jesus, he, he requires devotion. That is not perfection, by the way. Devotion is not perfection. Devotion is priority. Devotion says, Jesus, you have my whole heart and my whole life, and to the best of my ability, I want to follow in your ways. D -d Devotion is recognizing that to the best of my ability, I want to live in the ways and the words of Jesus and follow his teachings, and, and, and all the while coming daily to say, Holy Spirit, help me because I can't do it on my own. 
I heard a pastor named Wayne Cordero say this. He said, did you know that maturity, it, it is not perfection. Maturity is not perfection. Maturity is how quickly you, you repent when you miss it. it, it it's not being perfect. It's, it, it's measured by a heart that, that goes, oh, I missed it. Lord, I, am, I'm, I thank you for your grace right now. Lord, would you, would, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? And I'm right back in. Why? Because my devotion, my priority, it's not me. It's you. My whole life is I'm reverently coming awe-inspired of who you are and what you've done to follow you. Number two, you can write this down. I think that we've become too casual in, in our living. Write this down, number two, in our living. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. I want to read this to you. The Apostle Paul's writing, he says this, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver. I understand this more as a parent, by the way, because before we had kids, all of our cups were the same. We just had cups, that's it. And now we have like glass cups and sippy cups and plastic cups, and we got all sorts of cups. In a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will become or he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. In verse 22, the apostle Paul, he says, so flee, Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We have, we have lost the reality that while God can and will and does use anyone, remember, there's no, there's no partiality. God shows no partiality. God does not see uh, with polarized lenses like we often see, but God says anyone who will come, anyone who, who, who desires, I will welcome, accept. God will use and can use anyone, but we forget he chooses to use those who have separated and dedicated themselves in, in not, just, not just priority, but in their living to him. We, 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 we forget that Jesus says things like, many are called, Few were chosen. Jesus, what does that mean? It means that my call is for all. I've called the world to myself, but, but few, but few have chose to accept my call and live in the way in which I re require. Remember, there actually is a verse where Jesus said, narrow is the way. I, I was talking to someone one time, I don't even remember who it was, and, and they said, man, you, you know my thing with Christians? They act like, you know, it's like, it's like a narrow way. And I said, well, that's actually a Bible verse, actually. In case you, like, that's actually the words of Jesus. He says, narrow is the way. Narrow is the path to life. First John chapter one, verse five, listen to this. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Pause real quick. He goes, this is the message we've heard and we're, we're, we're declaring it to you. We want you to know this, that our God, he is a holy God. Our God, he is a pure God. There, there is no darkness in our God. He is light through and through. There is no shadow. There is no variation. He's the essence of holiness. Our God, he is light and there is no darkness in him at all. In verse six, listen to what he says. He says, so if we say 
that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. It, 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 it's the cliche reality that you can know someone but not actually know them. Like it probably got unhealthy to be honest, but when I was in high school and first couple years out of high school, I loved Kobe Bryant. I did. I was a Laker fanatic. I watched every Laker game. I knew all the stats. I knew all the highlights. I, I would go to you know, YouTube and, and watch the, you know, the recap. I was all in. And I could tell you everything that there is to know in that moment about what had just happened in the Laker game, what the playoff pr- pr- uh, predictions were gonna be, what Kobe did. But can I tell you, I never met the man. I, I could tell you all the stats. I never had dinner with the man. I, I knew him. I, I had knowledge of him, but there, there, was no, there was no relationship there. You know, we, we live in a world where I think it's becoming increasingly uh, uh, easier because of things like social media where and we know so many people without actually not knowing, not knowing anyone. It's becoming increasingly easier to somehow think that that's how relationship works. That's how relationship with God works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I follow him. Well, what do you mean? Well, I, I follow him on Instagram. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm one of Jesus' Facebook friends. We've been friends for about three years. We just came up on our friend anniversary. I posted about it. Like we're, and, and we get deceived into thinking that, that knowing about ha- having an introduction one time somehow constitutes with relationship. He says, here's the message we, we were trying to get across to you. John's writing, our God There is no darkness in him at all. He's pure. He's light. And if we say that we're walking with him in intimacy, we say that we have intimate fellowship and relationship with him, and yet we we, we willingly, knowingly walk in darkness, say, you're lying to yourself, man. You you are uber self-deceived because it's just not possible. It's not possible to have intimate fellowship. Now, again, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about you made one bad mistake last Tuesday when someone cut you off in the Walmart parking lot and you lost it for a second and you forgot that you lead small group at your church. We're not talking about that. Someone's like, oh my gosh, they saw me. They know. How did they know? <laughs> uh, this, is, this is so not on screen. I, I, I preached a message at summer camp this past summer and after the, the message, this a youth pastor and his student walks up and the youth pastor goes, all right, man, just tell him. And he, this kid, he's like 16, he was mad. Like, I know what mad teenagers look like. I've been doing youth ministry a long time. He's, he's like, it's not fair, man. So I said, I said, I'm, I said, catch me up, man, what's going on? I know that my youth pastor told you to say all that stuff, didn't he? Like, you guys are in on it together. I'm like, no, man, that's called the Holy Spirit. Um, he, God was just trying to speak to you. But, we, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about, you know, never missing the mark. We're, we're talking about a lifestyle that goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm removing myself from darkness. And increasingly, as the Holy Spirit convicts me and convinces me of what, of, of, of what is sin and what is not sin, as God brings people into my pathway to, to help me see things that I can't see, as, as Jesus reveals himself to me, as I spend time in the scripture, I'm, I'm choosing to go. I'm not walking in darkness, but I'm gonna walk in, in his ways. The Bible says we're, we're self-deceived. 
If we think we have intimate fellowship with him and yet our life is one that we knowingly, willingly walk in that which he has nothing to do with. Are we still loved by God? Yes, we are. Is, is God still have a purpose and a plan and a calling? Yes, he does. But the intimacy and the fellowship and the real time God desiring and being able to use me, there, there's a gap there. What do I do about that gap? The Bible says this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, one of my favorite Bible verses. I would encourage you to memorize it and get that thing in your back pocket. It says, but if we confess our sins, if we come to him and go, God, I missed it. God, I'm missing it currently. God, I have this area of my thinking and my life where I, I know it's not right. I know it's not okay. I know it keeps on repeating itself, but God, I, I'm confessing it. it's sin. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? The Bible says that God, he is faithful, meaning he will do it every single time. And he is just. He is righteous in doing it because of the finished work of his son. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to clean us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness righteousness. We, we should daily be going to God saying, search my heart, Lord. God, my desire is intimacy with you. My desire is to be freshly filled with, with, with your spirit. My desire, God, is I want to walk with you. I want to follow in your ways. So today I confess anything in me that's not right. Would you cleanse me? Would you, what, what did David write? Lord, search me, know me, rid me from the inside out of anything and everything that is not right. We should be going to God saying, God, I, I, I need forgiveness. And every time I pray that prayer, by the way, it is not a, a, a needy, I hope it works prayer. It's a Lord, I missed it here. And I'm asking you that you would forgive me and that you would cleanse me. And almost immediately I go, and I thank you right now that, that, that you do, that you have. Thank you, God, that I'm not waiting to go. I hope, no, God, you promise in your word that if I would simply come to you and confess sin, just, just bring it to you and go, look, that's not, I don't, that's not how, I want, how I want to live, that you're faithful and you're just to forgive me and to cleanse me of all. And I, I walk away happy going, oh, thank you, God. Thank you that I'm righteous. Thank you, God, that I'm your son. Thank you that I'm at peace with you right now because of the finished work. But, but it starts with us going, no, I'm, okay, I, I think I have become too casual in my living. I think I keep on saying things aren't a big deal but they kind of are. I, I think I keep on saying things don't affect me, but I th actually, they do. I, I think I keep on saying that, ah, I mean, that, that's not really what it means, but I think actually, if I'm honest, I know that's what it means. So Lord, I, I just confess that I'm wrong. I've missed it. I need your grace and I thank you right now. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter six? that we can't stop at just confessing our sin, but then we have to begin to restructure our living. Romans 6, the apostle Paul writes, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You know, we're here on 4th of July talking about and celebrating the freedom of our country. Did you know that we have freedom in Christ? That sin does not have control over you? That sin does not have power over you? My daughter and I just had this car, this conversation in the car yesterday. She said, Dad, sometimes I just get so mad and I just can't help it. She was getting really mad at her, her brother and sister. And I said, baby, I know sometimes we feel something on the inside, but we have to learn that just because we feel it doesn't mean that's the truth. And the truth is when you gave your life to Jesus and mommy and daddy baptized you, that you were set free from that stuff. And I said it a little bit different. And, and so, so now you have the ability to go, no, 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 no. 
you don't control me anymore. We've been set free from the grip of sin, but it still requires that we make daily decisions. So the Bible says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not, someone say do not. And don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 23, a prudent man, a wise man. So I'm not gonna say it, but just so you know, the Bible is saying, if you don't fall into this category, you're stupid. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. This is what, like, this is the opposite of this verse. A wise man, a prudent man, he foresees evil and he, and he hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. The Bible says it's foolish living to go, it's not a big deal, I'm strong, I'm mature. The Bible goes, you are so dumb. You, you need so much help, you need so much prayer. It says, no, a wise man he, he fast forwards the tape and he foresees evil. You, you know what, what happened to so many of us? We become so casual in our living, so casual in, in our devotion that we, we know what's gonna happen when we, when we go to that bar. We know what's gonna happen when we text that person. We know what's gonna happen when we fill in the blank and we go there anyways. That's not a big deal. It's fine. It doesn't really matter that much. The Bible goes, no, wise living, wise living is foreseeing evil and say, no, actually, I don't go there anymore. I, I actually deleted that number. Actually, I don't, we, don't, we don't talk anymore. Why? Because my desire is to live upright and to not, as Romans says, to, to not present my life as instruments of unrighteousness. I would not in a million years invite my, and I'm, I love my son, by the way. I'm picking on him a lot today. I love my son. But I would not go, hey, hey Graham, come here. Graham, come here. Do you want to play Mr. John's guitar? Do you just, no, it's like, no, I'm, I'm not putting this instrument in his hands because I know what he's capable of at four years old. Bible goes, why do you keep on putting your life in sin's hands? Why do you keep on presenting your mind as an instrument for, for sin to play? Why do you keep on putting, putting your hands as instruments for sin to use? Why don't you get some wisdom and say, no, 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 a wise man, he foresees evil. He hides himself. Number three, you can write this down because we are out of time and it's moving quickly. Number three, you can write this down. I think we've become too casual in the call of God that's on our life, in the calling that's on our life. Did you know that every single one of us, while we are special and unique in the eyes of God, we're also not in the sense that we've all been called to the same thing. That every single one of us, we have been called to live and give and leverage our life to see people come to know Jesus and then to walk with them and help them grow. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 19 through 20, he says, he says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to walk in my ways, in my, my commandments. Did you know this? And I, this, is, this is a sobering thought for me. So by the way, I'm in this with you. This whole message, I'm in it with you. But did you know that all of us, we will give an account for our post-conversion life? Do you know that? We, we will not stand before Jesus and give an account for, for sin necessarily, 
No, all that's been covered by the finished work of Jesus. But however, we will stand and give an account for stewardship. Remember Jesus said, do you want to know what my kingdom is like? Um, All right, let me tell you this parable. It's kind of like this master he gave to his servants talents. This one he gave 10 and this one he gave five and he, he gave to them talents and then he went away on business. And he came back and he actually required a count of each of his servants for how they stewarded what was put in their hands. The one with 10 who multiplied that thing and he had 20, he was like, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. The one had five, he multiplied that and he's got five. Man, well done, good and faithful servant. Gets to the guy with one. Uh, yeah, I, um, I it seemed too risky, man, so I buried it. Um, and I've just been doing some others. And the, and the Bible goes, Jesus literally says, that master, he will say, you wicked and lazy servant. There is a reality that we, we will stand before our creator and we will give an account for the stewardship of our life. The Bible says this, I'll read you a couple of verses, 2 Corinthians 5, um, verse 10. The, the words are getting very small on the screen. Lord, heal my eyes. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 14, verse 12. So then let each, or so then each of us, we will give an account of himself to God. You know what word always sticks out to me? The word himself. There ain't gonna be no one standing there with me. That it's probably why Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, as for you, Titus, as for you, we need to have an as for me. Lord, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what my coworkers are doing. My neighbor, they're crazy. They need prayer. God, as for me, I will stand on your word. God, I know the person worshiping next to me, they have some very questionable Facebook postings, and I don't even know if I agree with all that, but Lord, as for me, I'm gonna love my neighbors. As for me, I'm gonna speak well of those who are in authority. As for me, I'm gonna pray for my nation and pray for my prayer. As for me, because we're all standing before God and we'll give an account of how we stewarded the life that we've been given. And by the way, just so you know, it is not zeros in a bank account that God will be applauding saying, wow, well done. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but, but, but the priority of the heart of our God is it's people, it's souls, it's opportunities that he puts in front of us to share the good news of, of Jesus, to use what he's given us to reach people, to build his church, to, 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 to be a blessing. It's the time that we make to walk alongside people, to disciple them and to help them grow. And I'll end with this scripture right here and then I, I promise you we're done. Colossians 4.17 has become one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible because it challenges me and it stirs me up every time I read it. We, we don't know who Acapus is necessarily, um, or we don't have great detail about his life, but Paul, Paul, Paul apparently did. And Paul, in the closing chapter in the book of Colossians, it's almost like a PS. He goes, oh, and say to Acapus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. He said, but by, by the way, re, remind, remind Acapus to get serious and sober 
about the call of God that's on his life. And to make sure that he's giving himself to fulfill it. One of the most sobering things that I just feel so convicted personally, and I'm I'm not even trying to put this on you, but I feel so convicted personally that I do not want to stand before Jesus one day and realize there was so much more he had for me. I don't mean in blessings and vacations and zeros and a I mean like in fruitfulness. There was so much more God wanted to use me to do. There were so many more people that God wanted to use me to help, to reach, to bless. And I just, I was so distracted by me, myself, and I. I, I allowed my lenses to become so polarized by American culture. I started living with Jesus as an accessory rather than as the Lord of my life that leads me and guides me and directs me and helps me to define what fruitfulness is. That's maybe a question to even ask yourself. How do I define success? How how do I define fruitfulness? Jesus, is that how you define it though? Because I have this whole like metric system and I know I'm, I'm killing it right now. But ho- hold on. M- maybe, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been a little too casual in, in, in my devotion, in my living, in my calling. Would you help me, Lord Jesus, to redefine that word? Would you help me, Lord Jesus, to redefine what fruitfulness really is? Because I would hate to stand before you one day and think that I owned the world. I killed it. I was so fruitful, so successful, and fi- find out that actually my, my account was left wanting because, because I didn't steward it well. There's no, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's zero condemnation because remember the whole title of the series is Don't Stop Here. So maybe you're here this morning Ah, honestly, I have been very casual in, in my devotion. If I'm honest, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm the big chief in my own life. I'm the boss. I call all the shots. Well, my wife does, but I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I call all the shots. And I actually haven't even asked him lately what he desires. I mean, I go to church on Sundays and like we're Christians and you know, we post the right stuff that culture says we're supposed to post on social media, but I don't even know if, if I could tell you what his word and his ways are anymore because I'm so busy following my ways. You know what the starting point is? Lord, I repent. Jesus, I don't wanna be the boss anymore. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, it always leads to death. So God, I repent being the boss of my own life. I can't, that's sin, God. I confess that as sin. I've been too casual in my devotion to you. God, I've been too casual in my living. So I ask you today that you would forgive me, that you would freely and generously cleanse me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Oh God, I repent for defining fruitfulness by the standards of our culture and not realizing that fruitfulness to you It's Christ-likeness in me. It's becoming more like Christ and seeing people. God, wherever you are today, 
my encouragement in love and grace is, I think we've been a little too casual. And I think that might be part of the problem if we're honest and why culture is becoming so polarized. What, what if we got back to just say, no, I, I don't wanna be casual. God, he's calling me. God is speaking to me. And like Moses, I wanna say, absolutely, here I come. But yet I wanna hear the caution in his voice. Say, oh, hey, oh, 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 yes, yes, come. Before you come, just remember, this is a holy thing. This is a sacred thing. This, my son, I'm asking for devotion. I'm asking that you walk in my ways, that you steward your life the way I'm asking. God, this, this is, God, would we say, God, we, we hear your voice, that it's a holy and a sacred thing that you've called us to. Would you pray with me? God, I'm asking you today, in the name of Jesus, that you would, in love and grace and gentleness, Holy Spirit, do what you do best, and that is convict our hearts. One of the very first things Jesus said that you would do, Holy Spirit, is convict our hearts of sin. Help us to see that, oh, we are so wrong in that area, and we need the truth of your word to illuminate and give us, give us life, give us light. So that I pray that you would convict our hearts even more so in the days, the weeks, the months to come. We don't wanna stay here. We don't wanna be stuck, God. No, we wanna turn aside and lean into what you're saying, what you're doing. God, we wanna do so in a way that has reverence and honor, in a way that we take our sandals off and say, this is holy. God, the calling on my life to be in relationship with you, to walk with you, to be filled with your spirit and be you, oh God, it's a holy thing. So God, I pray that we would give you our devotion. We'd seek first your kingdom. We would give you our living, God. Purity and righteousness would become the new standard. And I pray that we would give you the call of our life to say, God, we wanna steward our minutes and moments well. We wanna steward everything you've given us well. For there is a day that will come that we will stand before you and we will give an account for the life we're living today. Would you just maybe still with your, with your eyes closed, your head bowed, can we just stand up this morning? And can we just respond to the Lord? I would encourage you that as we begin to sing this song that, that you, you would come to the altar if that's you and you would ask someone to pray for you. Maybe you need someone today just to pray for you that you get, you get a fresh start. Maybe you wanna give your life to Jesus today. Can we just respond to the Lord by lifting our hands, lifting our voice, saying, God, we hear you. We hear you. We hear your call. And like Moses, we said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.